3: Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I am one of your hosts, Reza
2: Aslan. And I am the more important of the other hosts, Rain Wilson. Hello. I,
3: I, I don't know if I'd say more important. I would say perhaps a little more known, maybe. I don't know.
2: I am more famous. I am more wealthy, and I am taller.
3: Yes, that those are all true, and grayer. Uh, I'm and grayer. You look, you look positively flushed right now, though. What's uh? I'm I'm
2: feeling very relaxed. Yeah, I'm feeling mm-hmm. uh, I'm feeling radiant right now. Have you been drinking? What's What's? No, I'm uh, I'm uh, what they call post-coital. Oh goodness gracious! Yeah,
3: yeah, I'm postcoital. Did you, wait, did you? Are you telling me you came to this podcast right out of bed?
2: No, I mean we're you you know we're recording this in the morning. I had a Zoom at 10 and then I told my wife I would meet her for some intimacy time at 10:30 a.m. Wait, was it actually on the count? You guys had to schedule your uh It was on the iCal. Lovemaking? We share the iCal. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. on the
3: shared iCal.
2: No, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible when you are middle-aged and you've got a lot of Zooms and pitches and issues and, um, raising a kid and, you know, it just, lovemaking gets put uh, so far in the back burner. If you don't schedule it, it doesn't happen, dude. You know, know. when I was, when we were in our twenties and thirties and in previous relationships, it just kind of like, Hey, look, let's get some pizza. Oh, look, the baseball game's on. All of a sudden you're fucking and then yeah. you're just going on a walk, During and then you're commercial walking the dog, and, and then mm-hmm. you you're you're buying something at the drugstore. But um, it doesn't work that way in, in long-term married life. So I um we have taken to having to schedule sex and like take out our little eye cals and and look over the dates and you know, make sure we're clear. It... You have to leave enough time because that puts a lot of pressure. Because sometimes I, I get there and I'm like, "Oh shit, I have to like perform all of a sudden," and you know, uh, yeah. and it doesn't quite work that way for me at the tender age of 56. So, uh, what about you guys? What about you guys? How's that? Look,
3: I'm making fun of you for you know having to write on the on the calendar, sex 10:30 a.m. to 10:35 a.m. I get that, um, and it's and it's complicated. But I
2: shouldn't make fun. No, of it you was ten. It was 10:30 1030 to 10:33 a.m. 10:33. Okay, it's a very.
3: Um, but you know I shouldn't make fun of you because I actually greatly admire that because people don't realize you've been married for a very long time. I've all, I've been yes. married for like half the the years that you've been married, but still we've been married for for a while now. And and I I think people forget that like marriage takes work and practice. Like you gotta actually be active about it. Like this idea that you think that shit's just going to happen. Like, you know, you're going to be in the middle of getting lunch ready for the, for the kids. And then you're going to like, look at each other with like lust in the eyes and like right at that moment, like that shit doesn't happen. Like you need to actually work. Love is work. People love is work.
2: Love is work. It's hard work. It's specific work. It's detailed work. It's daily work. I learned this because I read a book about it. Tell me about it. By the Gottmans. Oh, the Julie Gottmans. Julie and John Gottman, the very famous relationship scientists, the marriage scientists. That's exactly boiled, what they are. They've boiled all of this complicated marriage stuff down to some really <laughs> easy-to-do fundamentals. It's uh, it's utterly fantastic. Let's get them the hell on this show like now they have so <laughs> right much now. we need it right, right now share. folks if
3: you're unfamiliar with the gottmans uh they are you know the the godfathers of love uh therapy rain is absolutely right like this is love science this isn't just like wishy washy you know like how to how to you know have better sex in like 4 days by like using whipped cream and cherries and stuff the, these are scientists who have done massive amounts of scientifically rigorous studies on why some people stay in love and some people don't. And in fact, uh, John Gottman's got this thing where he says he only needs about 15 minutes with a couple. And in 15 minutes, and he's done this for 40 years, in 15 minutes, he can tell you with something like 90% accuracy whether you two are going to work or not. Takes fifteen minutes and unbelievable. Are there are there electrodes involved? <laughs> no, but weirdly there is whipped cream and cherries involved. And uh, by the way, Julie Gottman, herself, a PhD, also a, a relationship uh, a guru and genius, and like these two are married, which is a conversation that we're going to have to have with them to figure out exactly. Yes, how definitely, that works. definitely. Together, have to that they have authored. I mean, literally, like, hundreds of books. I'm not just, like, exaggerating. Like, I think it is, like, in the hundreds. And their newest book is called The Love Prescription. And it's uh, seven days to more intimacy, connection, and joy. And, you know, we brought them here because of two reasons. Number one, uh, because, you know, we're interested about this question. Like, can you – does love last forever? Like, is that a thing that just only happens in movies? Or does, like it's, – it's, is that possible? Is it possible? Is it attainable? And then the second thing is because uh, my wife, Jessica, and I actually went to a Gottman Institute. uh, That's right. Training at their house. What, like six months ago or something? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It was like last. It was like maybe three months ago. Ever since then, I've been desperate to try to be their friends. And I'm just hoping like if I invite them on the podcast, like, you know, they'll want
2: to be friends and stuff. You're just trying to get free therapy out of the deal. Well, that too that too. Julie Schwartz Gottman, PhD, is co-founder and president of the Gottman Institute and co-founder of Effective Software. She was honored with the 2021 Lifetime Achievement Award by the Psychotherapy Network, winner of Washington State Psychologist of the Year. She has co-authored seven books, including 10 Principles for Doing Effective Couples Therapy, Baby Makes Three, and Eight Dates, I mean, their their accolades go on and on. John Gottman was voted one of the top 10 most influential therapists of the past quarter century. Professor emeritus in psychology at U-Dub. And you're right, 200 published academic articles and more than 45 books, including the best-selling Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Uh, they both run the Gottman Institute, which is just fantastic. This whole I- and this whole idea they're going to dig into: love is a practice more than a feeling; it's an action. It's something you do. It's not something that happens to you. Let's bring on board the doctors Gottman, John and Julie Gottman. Thank you
3: so much for joining us on the Milkshake. This is such a, a an honor for for both of us. We've both been reading your works for a really long time you guys are you guys the 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 original the, the ogs right the ogs of love can i call you guys the ogs of love i don't think they know what ogs
2: stands for
3: out. is that what you mean <laughs> no
2: original gangsters <laughs> original gangsters <laughs> are the original love.
3: gangsters <laughs> So I, I've mentioned this on the podcast a couple of times now. So uh, most of our listeners know that uh, Jessica and I actually came to your house uh, on Orcas and did one of these big sort of weekend retreats. And and uh, I love the story, John, of how you got started in this field. Like you became an expert on love, if I'm not mistaken, because you needed help getting laid. Am I right about that? Is that about right? <laughs> well, it wasn't so much... Uh, Needing help with
4: uh, with having sex, as it was with um, love lasting,
3: you know that
4: love oh, those not are different turning things? Into betrayal. Oh.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit about tell us a little bit about how you got started, if you don't mind. Well,
4: um, my friend Bob Levinson and I uh, became friends at Indiana University, and uh, we were commiserating with one another about how. Every one of our relationships with women had turned into a disaster. And then we decided to collaborate with one another. We actually, you know, did a test drive uh, collaborating with one another. And we had fun. Uh, Bob was worried I might turn into a lunatic. (laughs) And, you know, we decided to to build a lab and uh, combine his expert knowledge of physiology uh, and electronics with my expert knowledge of how to observe people. And we sort of did this initial study together where we had 30 couples come into the lab and just talk about how their day went and talk about a major conflict and a positive topic. And then we sent them home and, you know, didn't help anybody. We had no clue how to (laughs) help anybody at that time. It wasn't until I met Julie, who was a really accomplished therapist, that we started actually trying to help people. But we recontacted the couples three years later and found that our measures of physiology and the way they talked to one another could predict with 90% accuracy how the relationship had changed in the subsequent three years. So that, mm. was, that was pretty remarkable. And there wasn't any psychological research that did anything but account for about 9% of the variation. We were accounting for over 90% of the variation. Wow. And
2: it kind of blew our minds. Were you good at numbers? How did you get yeah. into the statistics well, of this?
4: Yeah, I started life as a mathematician. I even <laughs> went to MIT and got a master's degree in math before I went into psychology. My roommate at MIT was a psychology student, and I found his books more interesting than mine, so I,
2: yeah, I switched yeah, I would imagine. to psychology <laughs> after that. That's fantastic. I, I love mathematics. You do this work as a couple. Um, I, I'm fascinated by that. How long have you been together? When did you meet? And and how do you deal with the pressure of being a couple known for your expertise in coupleship? I mean, you guys, I'm so sorry. You can't get divorced.
0: <laughs> bad for you business. literally bad
2: for business.
0: You can't <laughs> no, it's not only that,
2: like like all of the thousands of people you've helped and, and millions that have read your books are That's gonna be true. so devastated mom mom dad don't get divorced please but how did you how did you meet um and what's that pressure like
1: okay so we met in a coffee shop we've been together for 36 years married 35 years Um, and he was really, really cute and really sexy. So, you know, I knew we'd have no trouble getting laid beforehand (laughs) and, um, we just started to talk, uh, over coffee. And of course this was in Seattle, the coffee capital of the universe, and we had a fabulous conversation. And then, um, we started having phone conversations. I went on a speaking tour. Uh, and John sent me flowers at every hotel I stayed in, which <laughs> wow. blew my mind. Nobody had ever given me flowers before. So um, it was fantastic. So in we started working together probably nine years after we were married. Um, I was doing individual therapy with really, 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 really difficult folks, people who were addicts, who... Suffering from addiction, PTSD, combat veterans, torture victims, you know, all kinds of people who were really, really, really in pain. And wow. John, meanwhile, was coming home and telling me all of his great research findings. And I couldn't resist. I got sucked into this fabulous, you know, not a dark hole, a sunlit hole of fabulous uh, information. And I just kept saying, why don't we share this with people? You know, why should we just keep it in the ivory tower? So uh, we formed an institute, the Gottman Institute, with a dear friend and um we were off and running and created the theory together, created the interventions together, right. uh, the design of the workshops, the design of the trainings, all that stuff we did together. And, um, you know, at first it was really hard because we were bridging two very different worlds. I was a
4: very arrogant scientist and, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, kept fighting Julie's uh, intuition until i eventually learned that you know
1: i'm always she, right she
4: really knows what she's <laughs> talking about <laughs> and uh, and once we started really collaborating uh it was it was magical
1: yeah and you know it has been ever since so yeah. it's yeah there is pressure um but you know pressure to do what well pressure to help more people you know our yeah. work together has been just Man, a magic carpet ride. I can't believe how many opportunities have come to us and our relationship. I mean, you know, we knew at the very beginning that this was going to be rock solid. You know, even though we didn't know anything, we didn't know how to have a relationship, Mm -hmm. either one of us, both of us had been divorced before. Right. So um, we knew nothing. But the couples that John studied, and later I joined him in some of that study, taught us everything. Of course. So, you know, thank you.
3: Yeah, we apply all of that in our own (laughs) relationship. Yes,
1: we do. Constantly. Every day.
3: Let's not do what those guys do. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I can see that. Rain, this is a true story. Did you know that I didn't have, like, a primary doctor until I was 49 years old? (laughs) Like, I... Wait. What? Yeah, I mean, you know, like... First of all, I'm an immigrant and immigrants, we, we don't go to the doctor anyway. Like your, your arm's gotta be like hanging by, you know, some sinews before like your mom says, all right, let's go to the doctor. Otherwise you just kind of rub some dirt on it and you're fine. And so as a grown man, it occurred to me suddenly, oh, my God, like I'm almost 50 years old, almost half a century old, and I don't have a doctor, but I had no idea how to go about like finding a primary care physician mm. until I mm. heard about ZocDoc. ZocDoc, oh. yeah, it's this free app. It's kind of like, you know, it's like you 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 have all these apps that tell give you reviews about like where to go if you want a good beer mm-hmm. or where to go if you want a good brunch. Well, why not an app that tells you? who to go to if you want a a good doctor. That's what ZocDoc is. It shows you all the doctors. They're all patient-reviewed. They all take your insurance. And they're all available when you need them. Find and
2: review local doctors. Read verified patient reviews from real people who have made real actual appointments. So now, when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. So go to ZocDoc.com, find the doctor that is right for you, and book an appointment in person or remotely that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I am one of them, America. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. So go to ZocDoc.com slash milkshake and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Zocdoc.com slash milkshake. Zocdoc.com slash
0: milkshake. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the o fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: (gasps)
3: what like your two hundredth book? I don't, have you have you lost count because I've lost count like you've written dozens and dozens of books on the subject. I think that's safe to say. and mm-hmm. you've been doing this as you say for decades. and it got me to thinking, I wonder has like the meaning of love changed over the decades? Has it become, Easier or harder? Uh, you know, how would you how would you describe sort of the current status of of the way that we maybe this is important to keep it culturally defined. So let's just say in America, uh, how have you seen the very idea of love and marriage and relationships change over the years? And actually, interestingly, Moraine and I were just talking about this earlier. How has it changed during the pandemic? Because yeah. Rain and I were talking about how. We have all these friends who got divorced as a result of the pandemic. Mm. Whereas for Rain and me, it was the opposite. Like we've never been closer to our wives because of the pandemic, you know, two years stuck under the same roof actually made us closer than ever. So I'm I'm just curious. When you look at the decades of of working with marriages, working with love, how, is the, how are those two concepts changed, and how has the pandemic changed them even more? You no, know, it's
4: interesting. I'm I'm reading a book uh, called Wired for Love uh, by uh, a neuroscientist named Cassiope, who was married to a very famous neuroscientist, John Cassiope, who unfortunately died uh, when they'd only been married seven years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And she's... She's uh, really, in this book, talks about how social neuroscience has found that love is universal, mm-hmm. that, you know, the kinds of things that work in love really are true across the whole planet. And, really? And hold for the human brain, you know, everywhere on the planet. And that's kind of what we discovered is that the things that make a relationship successful or doomed are the same everywhere everywhere on the planet, they're the same. And you mentioned the pandemic. And, you know, it's really true that, you know, some people really tanked during the pandemic, their relationships got worse and worse. And some people, you know, like us, our relationship got better and better over the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely true.
1: Let me add a few things. You know, I think uh, because we're so old, we can talk historically with real experience. <laughs> and so, you know, in the old days, before the internet, you know, you met more in person, through friends, through colleagues, etc., cetera. Uh, and you got to know each other and there would be time before you went to bed together and uh, there would be a bit of a friendship, more emotional connection and so on. Uh, in addition, people didn't leave each other quite so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, Now, mind you, this was before women's liberation. It was before women went back to work and so on. But these days in comparison, God, man, it's such a different world mm-hmm. in that um, people are typically meeting over the internet, People are not necessarily telling the truth on the Internet. And so there's uh, a lot of fantasy that's happening over the Internet uh, that may not prove to be real. And when people finally meet up, uh, does it work or not? Well, they go to bed fast. And before they've really formed the emotional safety that is needed in order to really have a fulfilling Uh, love life, passionate life, as well as uh, a life together as mates or partners. So uh, people are also leaving each other much more quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, okay, you know, partner number one, nah, forget it. And they're more reluctant to marry. The um, marital age is getting older. A little bit older, a little bit older, especially every decade. And some of that has to do with career. Some of that has to do with just fear uh, because they've seen their parents divorce and they don't want to take the same risks uh, where there could be a divorce. The same things matter around the globe, but people don't know about them. <laughs> and they have substituted internet kind of electronic uh-huh. connection for uh face to face and it it creates some challenges yeah. yeah
2: yeah i i i know for my wife and i oftentimes an evening relaxing is watching a, a show on streaming television and then going to the bedroom where i i play a chess on my phone, <laughs> and she <laughs> reads on her iPads. So we go from big screen to little screens and then lights out. So <laughs> that has its challenges. Right. But it's interesting you're talking about divorce and separation. And uh, Reza and I were talking about this before the show. There's a there, I'm a member of the Baha'i faith, and there's a teaching in the Baha'i faith about divorce. And by the way, Baha'is are not any better at marriage and divorce than anyone else. We have, I think, even a higher divorce rate than most people. There's a wonderful teaching called a year of patience or a year of waiting, where if you if the couple knows that they want to get a divorce, they're asked to separate, live separately, not have sex, engage minimally, other than counseling or dealing with the children and what you need to deal with. And really like deeply spiritually, philosophically, Ponder, um, you know, their marriage, their past, what they want, their future it kind of just slows everything way, 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 way down. Now, I have a lot of Baha'i friends that went through the year of patience and still got a divorce, but I have many that still, you know, yeah. three months in, seven months in, were like, you know, let's give this another trial that they absolutely would not have done um, if they had kind of, because I've seen this a lot too, in contemporary couples, kind of a rush to divorce, kind of like, They don't understand me. That's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And then it gets contentious very quickly, and uh, Mm -hmm. you know, best friends become best frenemies. It's
3: the
1: giving up
2: thing, you know. Any thoughts on on this kind of transition from separation to divorce?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, that the Baha'i faith contains a lot of wisdom, and what you are expressing is indeed uh, very wise in that. When people are living together uh, and going through day to day life together, they can either grow very, very distant from one another to the point where they don't connect or very, very conflicted because they don't know how to have conflict. Nobody takes relationships one on one in high school, right? When we really need it. And so what we see. Uh, in both our private practice and in our workshops and so on are people who realize that they really don't know how to love. And that's Mm. why we wrote this book, because people think it's a much bigger deal. It's much more complicated than it really has to be. Loving each other is as simple as saying, how are you doing, honey? How was your day? Mm -hmm. Or saying, God, you look gorgeous today. Or Mm -hmm. just, you know, the small little moments of turning towards our partners. Little moments every single day. And that's what this book is about. How you can really change your relationship in seven days by doing a small thing a little differently each day.
4: Yeah, there was a, a study done at UCLA by the Sloan Foundation in which they studied dual career couples with young children and, you know, in two careers. And they put cameras and microphones in the couple's home. And what they found is that most of these marriages spent less than 10% of an evening in the same room. And they talked to each other an average of 35 minutes a week. What? 35 minutes a week. And most of the talk was about errands, about (laughs) the to-do list that the couple had. Yeah. So really these relationships are getting ignored and the couple is focusing on work and the children uh and not really doing things that nourish the relationship. And that's where the trouble
2: really begins. Wow, well you I would love to hear some of your love prescriptions <laughs> from the book. Um sure. and I loved this idea of small things often.
3: I wrote that de- that's like That's the thing that I write on everything now. Just small things often, small things often. Like if you were going to, if you were going to like enwrap this
2: all into like three words, that would be it. Yeah, that's right. Isn't it it funny, Reza? Because small things often also applies to life. Like life isn't big sweeping changes. It's kind of these little micro adjustments you make along the way. Like I want to do this a little bit better. I want to work out for five minutes. I want to walk one mile. Like, Mm -hmm. you you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah.
4: Well, that's kind of what we discovered in the apartment lab that Julie and I built, in which we uh, saw 130 newlywed couples and followed them as many became pregnant and had babies. And we studied them in interaction with their babies as well and followed the babies as they got older. And it turned out these very small moments where one person would try to get their partner's attention or interest in something, and we the other camera would focus on How did the partner respond? Right. Mm -hmm. And if they turned toward this request for their for their attention or interest, then they stayed married. And the people who stayed married had turned toward these requests, these bids for connection, an average of 86% of the time. And the couples who eventually divorced, when we looked six years earlier, they had turned toward their partner's bids only thirty-three percent of the time. So this huge difference between just these small moments of connection it made a huge difference and even affected conflict because the couples who turned toward at that 86% level had a sense of humor even when they fought with one another. They could laugh together and reduce physiological
3: arousal. This is what I really love about your, your work is that It's not that complicated. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, that's not meant to be as a a slam or anything, but it's not that complicated. It's actually kind of easy. You were talking about the turning towards thing, which is so basic and yet has such a huge difference in a relationship. And just to to clarify what you were saying for for our audience, it's just a matter of, you know, when one partner says something like, uh, uh, you know, hey, uh, uh, there's an interesting cloud uh, outside. Right, the other person has three options, right? You can either sort of turn against it and just be like, "Clouds, you're looking at clouds right now. Who cares?" Right, or you can be sort of neutral and just like, "Uh huh, yeah, that's nice." Nope. Oh, no,
1: not true. Yeah, that one is actually turning towards. That's so the, that's all, all it takes is uh huh. Well, or you cannot say a word. Right. Not say, you just ignore it, and that's turning away, right? <laughs> Every couple knows
3: what we're talking about right now. Every mm-hmm. single couple right. knows that's
1: exactly right. what we're
3: talking about when, like, the other person right. says something like, "Oh, honey, check this out," or whatever, and you're like,
1: "Uh, mm-hmm, yeah." yeah. Um, let me add. Let me add another one. I think that's really, really important, and we talk about this in the book, which is saying thank you, expressing gratitude, gratitude, so gratitude, and you know, I mean, that goes. In relationships, but it's also an individual state of mind. Are you noticing what's right in the world? Are you noticing what your partner is doing that you like or that you appreciate? Say thank you. So, the unhappy couples, um, it's been found in another study that. The unhappy couples would only notice 50% of what their partners were doing right. right. The happy couples was much closer to 100%. So it's about noticing, it's about awareness. And I think this really ties in with the pandemic in that we felt so burdened, so oppressed by the consequences of the pandemic that many, many, many people got more depressed, got more anxious. Um, just really felt horrible. And what the antidote was for that, and still is, as well as in our relationships, is look for what's going right. Is there anything going right?
0: Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com Mike. That's American-Giant.com Mike.
2: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.
1: The fact that your partner is sitting next to you, even if you're just watching TV, how wonderful that they're sitting next to you and you can cuddle. You say thank you. Or if your partner happened to pour the coffee this morning, you say thank you. If your partner saw that you were tired and got up and did the dishes, wow, huge thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So it's that's- It's transformative. Great. I mean, it's, it sounds
3: simple.
2: Like
1: I, mm-hmm. I do-
3: I do all the house chores at my house. I do all the cooking and cleaning and and laundry and all of that stuff. And it's just kind of how I was sort of raised to do it. And I've had, I've lived with a number of women and there's, and I've always done that job and there's always been this weird sort of bitterness towards it. But my wife, Jessica says, thank you to everything that I do. But just the thank you makes all the difference because you you feel seen, you feel acknowledged. It's just a simple thing. Like, hey, thank you for making dinner.
2: Uh, It was delicious. Like, I will make you dinner every night after that. This is why this book is so great. Again, these tiny things, reach out and touch someone, you know, give compliments. The list goes on and on. But Reza, I thought we could try one of these exercises right now because- Let's do it. It says in the book, what are masters of love best at doing. And they're best at, what they're great at is holding in the front of their minds what they admire most about their chosen person. So Mm -hmm. you and I, having done a hundred podcasts together, working together for three years, Mm -hmm. I'd like you to begin, then I'll go. (laughs) What is it that you hold in the front of your mind that you admire most about me and our little podcast marriage? Okay, here it goes. Here it goes.
3: I think that the thing that I admire most about Rain Wilson... After years and years of uh, of our podcast uh, friendship, is how serious of a person he actually is. You know, I, I say this all the time. I think people would be very surprised when they meet, you know, the person Rain Wilson, because they they're familiar with the actor Rain Wilson, and the actor Rain Wilson is often a goofball right but the person Rain Wilson is a very serious sophisticated intellectual spiritual person and I think it surprises people you know people are people are like a little bit taken back they just assume that you're just some sort of doofus <laughs> in in real life when in reality you're're you're, you're nothing of the sort very well thought very you know a, a real deep, Deep thinker, uh, and also, as you know, because we've had this conversation a million times, I don't have any respect for people who don't put their values into practice or their faith into practice. Like, if you're not doing it, then what's the point of believing it? And uh, and you're you're somebody who is is adamant about doing it.
2: Oh wow, that's really beautiful, Reza. Thank you so much. That's really that really means a lot. Truthfully, right. thank you so much. So my next question has wait, to do. Hey, hey, wait a, wait, with a the, wait, wait, hold on, hold on! Did what? you did you forget something? Did you? No, I was saying that because part of what's really interesting here is they have a section about ask a big question, and that's really what we do on
3: this. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I thought no. at least I thought you were going to say my butt. I thought at the very least. You were gonna say you appreciate my Reza,
2: blood. I can't I can't top you on that. I can't top you. That was very well said <laughs> and so well formulated. It really truly means a lot. I will say that what I love about you, Reza, is that you are engaged you are fiercely, deeply engaged in the act of living a life. I mean, it's whether it's being a dad and raising kids, whether it's being married and like deepening your marriage, whether it's engaging politically, whether it's philo- philosophically writing books in kind of like sharing ideas, like you you never phone it in, you're always a hundred percent, you're deeply, deeply curious. And I think the world could use a lot more people like you.
3: Aww. I love
2: you, Rain. Oh, I love you too, Reza. I really do. Oh, this is so- but going back to <laughs> this now speaking. One of, of- one of the things we do in our podcast is we ask a big we ask life's big questions. That's part of the inspiration for this podcast is digging into life's big and you talk a lot about that as a tool. Tell us about how which is interesting because our podcast could actually be a marital aid, Reza. Um, <laughs> but talk about how why what's the importance of asking Big questions, not little questions. How was your day? Is one thing, but like, what do you want out of life is like one that you you put in here. Why the big questions?
1: Here's why. Because as human beings, we all are philosophers. Every single person, no matter what your education, no matter what your IQ, none of that stuff matters. It's really that here we land on this earth and all of us are asking at a deep level, what do, what's my purpose? Why do I want to live? Why do I want to live? I mean, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I've got a self-preservation instinct, but what else? What do I want to give? What do I want to contribute? Um, it's part of Victor Frankel's work, who was a concentration camp survivor and who wrote about people's search for meaning We look for meaning. Human beings are meaning makers. And so one of the most important things, you know, in our little brains is how do we make sense of what's happening around us? How do we create an internal world that has our values, our priorities, our ethics, our moral principles, and our dreams? Who do we want to be? So it's really important to share and ask those questions in a relationship because when you're talking about those bigger questions, it opens up each person's core. It opens up each person's heart way down, soul deep into, um, the very center of their being. And when you share that with your partner, there's a real connection. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely.
4: Yeah, Shakespeare said, we are the stuff that dreams are made of. Mm-hmm. And it's so essential to who we are as human beings Yeah, that we ask those questions about what is our life going to mean? And what does it mean that we've lived? And what does it mean that we're going to die? And couples who really do that together who not only have a relationship but create a life together that has purpose and meaning really wind up having much more
2: joy in their lives much more intimacy and connection yeah. you know on metaphysical milkshake we try and reach for the biggest possible questions and and i was thinking like putting aside all the prescriptive um uh, little gems of this book and and of your work, what you've discovered in the lab, what you've loved discovered through statistics. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Reza. Maybe you can sum those up when we're when we're wrapping this up. But putting all that aside, I, one question I had for you is kind of taking off your therapist hats and putting on your kind of just philosophical human hats, your, your Victor Frankl hats, by studying marriages for all of these years, what have you learned about us human beings? What, what, it, if you could boil it down to just like, what does it mean to be a human being? What have you, what have you then learned about human society and mm. what human society needs to be or to aspire toward from your work? our future and where we're headed. But I was just interested in the, I'm sure by observing 20,000 marriages and writing about them, you can distill it down into like, who are we? What do we need? And where are we going? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. So, you know, I think what I already guessed, but I have learned over and over and over again is how much we need each other. And that we are terrified of saying how much we need each other. Mm. You know, that's something that is really, oh gosh, so messed up in our own culture in America. People think they have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, that if something goes wrong in their life and they end up on the street, it's their fault. We blame them instead of our systems. That. You're not supposed to need anybody. You're supposed to be an individual and autonomous and blah, blah, blah. Well, that is, yes, basically, we are pack animals. We don't survive without interdependency, depending on one another. Uh, and part of that is relationships with love, also Friendships, also connecting with our children. We are connectors. We need each other, and needs are good. They are not bad. So, about humans, you know, what I would hope for in the future, oh God, is that altruism grows, that we begin to um, see how much we actually do need each other, how good care feels, how good it feels to give care, not just receive it, but to give it, uh, and that we do a whole lot more of that in the future, not only for people, but for life. That we give back to the earth, we give back to the forest, we give back to the sea, we give back to our fellow creatures, two-legged or four-legged, that our altruism wins the human war between aggression and altruism, which we're caught up in now. I know we're almost out of time. Just one
3: last question here. Um, We were reading this VICE study uh, that was done in the UK, and it said that the average relationship, this including marriage, regardless of marriage, um, that the average relationship lasts for two years and nine months, which was so depressing, though also, weirdly, right on target for my average before my marriage. Like I think two years, nine months was basically every one of my relationships until I got I got married. But it begs the question, is it possible to be in love forever? It is love
4: forever? It's a very interesting question. It's an empirical question. And a lot of people have argued that you can't be in love forever. It wears <laughs> you out. You know, you have to go to being to loving one another but not being in love. But Helen Fisher has actually studied this in the laboratory and looked at what happens to the human brain when you're in love? And, you know, and it's a remarkable thing that happens and you just become better at creative problem solving and all kinds of things when you're in love. It really has a very, very big effect on the brain. And it appears to have no shelf life. You can stay in love forever. And that's pretty amazing. And then the question becomes, how do you manage that? How do you do that? And that's right. kind of what we're about. Is how do you stay in love forever? But you really can be in love forever. I'm as much in love with Julie now as I was the weekend that I met her, which was a miraculous (laughs) weekend.
3: (laughs) That's how I feel about you, Rain. I'm in love. Oh,
2: come on, Reza.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, you know, I think I would agree with John that – it uh, depends, you know, there's so many questions about how you define love. And in love typically means you're in the soup of your own hormones, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> uh, chemistry is bubbling. Um, however, I guess I define it differently. Um, I define being in love as having a million things to admire in your partner to love about them, to savor, to enjoy, um, to, uh, God, you know, never imagine uh, somebody that could suit you better, that would feel better to you. Yeah. Um, they are the one. They are the life journey for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I totally believe along with the science that being in love forever is absolutely possible
2: yeah yeah well um the book is profound all of your books are profound uh i will definitely check out that app you've got um and just thank you so much for um just illuminating the the world of of marriage and and sustaining long-term love i mean it's uh, when I first heard about your four horsemen of the apocalypse of marriage, which are, by the way, contempt, defensiveness, criticism, and stonewalling. Um, that was really brilliant. Because when my marriage, and it has several times been in a really bad place, those four horsemen were definitely rearing their ugly heads. But you have brought so much light to the world through your work. Um, we're privileged to have had this conversation with you And thank you so much for being on The Milkshake.
1: And Rain and and Reza, Reza. thank you so much for the opportunity to share with your audience. You guys are doing great work. Thanks for the the
3: quick little relationship therapy between us too. That was really yes, yes. (laughs) We've worked out so much. Some things there. (laughs) The love prescription. The book is called Seven Days to More Intimacy Connection Enjoy John and Julie Gottman. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, you guys.
2: Uh, incredible conversation. Reza, do you feel like you got some practical tools coming out of that conversation different than ones you got from, uh, going to do a weekend with them? Well, I feel like that's an unfair question because
3: I'm already a master of love.
2: Oh, and you so, master of you know, there's love. There's only
3: so much that I could learn, but I feel like mm-hmm. other people probably, uh, have learned a lot from uh, the Gottmans, but uh, here's what I would say. Here's, okay, if you're one of these people like me, until very recently, like if you said relationship book to me, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. I'm not gonna read a relationship book. (laughs) (laughs) What I will say is this, the simplicity of it, that we've talked about this before, like the little little bits of advice, like again, small things often, just like every day say, I love you to your wife, or in the middle of nothing, you know, just like grab your partner, uh, and just give them a romantic kiss for no reason, like in the fucking grocery store. Just just do it. It's like these small things often make the biggest difference. Or the other thing that we talked about, which was um, this whole like turning towards. Try that next time. Next time your partner is like, oh my God, there's like the funniest raccoon on Instagram here. Stop what you're doing, even though you could not give a shit about the raccoons. Right. You could be in the middle of performing heart surgery. Just stop and say, oh, really? Let me see.
2: You know, do you know how um, on uh, the Terminator, the original one, like, he has, like, the choices that come up on his screen? <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> do 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 it's like, do 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 do. Uh-huh. fuck you, motherfucker. And he goes <laughs> through the options and, like, <laughs> yes. Sometimes I'm so bad at interhuman per- interpersonal relationships that sometimes I feel like the Terminator where those <laughs> options come up. And and my wife will be like, look at the cute raccoon on Instagram. And I'll be like, leave me alone. Fuck off. I'm not interested. Oh, I'd love to see. And I'll go, beep, 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 beep. Oh, I'd love to see. I have zero, like, actual <laughs> impulse to see the raccoon. But <laughs> I know it's the best thing. Right. It's the best choice, ultimately. And it's
3: so easy and yet like so revelatory i mean these guys they've they've monitored they mentioned this a little bit earlier and like if you thought that it was weird it is weird but like they actually have these apartments with like cameras and recording devices that they that they like pay couples to just live in for a while so they could monitor them which sounds like my fucking nightmare by the way but over and beyond that they have all these stats and they will tell you that the biggest difference, like the biggest indicator of whether this is going to work or not is if one person says, hey, check this out, and the other person stops and checks it out, whether mm. they actually give a shit or not, like yeah. that little thing can dramatically improve yeah. your love life. So, you know, there's a lot. Good stuff, One man. of the
2: things that really struck me was when she was talking about gratitude. We've, cause we've talked a lot about gratitude and certainly mm-hmm. in happiness studies, gratitude is a big part of that, Sure, you know, daily expression of gratitude and, and whatnot. Um, but the whole idea that, okay, expressing gratitude uh, is important and it makes you happier and it makes you more successful and increases your health and stuff like that. But turning that gratitude toward your partner is not something people talk about a lot. They talk about oh, I'm grateful for this cup of coffee. I'm grateful that I'm healthy today. I'm grateful for the sunshine. But like, you know, to express it to your partner. I'm grateful for you. I'm I'm grateful for the way that you folded the socks. I'm I'm grateful for the way that you made dinner. I mean, that's that's Crazy. that's really um I just I find that really um uh but is that I find that it really
3: going, is your alarm going off?
2: Oh, sorry. We're in the yep. middle of a podcast,
3: Rain. Sorry. So, yeah. What is that? What do you, you got to take medicine or something?
2: Uh, no. I've we've just I've got something scheduled on the calendar, um, with holiday, uh, right now. So I gotta wait, run. Wait, wait,
3: wait, wait, wait. Are you
2: are you about to go have more sex? We um, we just got. We just have to. Uh, <laughs> we have to connect about <laughs> something. Think. So All I'm right, gonna well, I'm gonna have to run. Folks, Thanks, folks. Before, Thanks for having we gotta, me. We
3: gotta wrap this up uh, be, so that uh, Rain can go and take care of things, if you know what I mean. Uh, if you want more of life's big questions, uh, it's very easy. All you gotta do is find us on social media at Reza Aslan at Rain Wilson. We're on Twitter at Metamilk Podcast on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know your life's big questions. We might just explore them on a future episode. And remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts wherever else you listen to podcasts. And in fact, if you review metaphysical milkshake on apple podcasts all you gotta do is send us a screenshot of that review to metaphysical screenshot. that is not i say screenshot i said i think yeah I said i'm just screenshot.
2: backing you up i'm like screenshot are we oh okay all right i thought maybe we were. i'm being supportive i'm being see I've, uh, I've got your back i'm i'm here that's is good coupleship
3: <laughs> send the screenshot to metaphysical at castmedia.com that's cast with a k and we will send the first five people who do that. We will send you a copy of the Gottman's new book, The Love Prescription. And let me tell you, you 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 probably need
2: it. So if you this want a free copy, this is a prescription this, you need. All yes. you got to do is put down write. those opioids, America.
3: <laughs> this is your people. prescription. And you can obviously subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and watch our full episodes
2: every week. Ray, Rain, are you? Are yeah. you still here? Are you still here? I'm- I'm here, but I really gotta go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in the doghouse, so <sighs> I gotta right. go. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next week, Metaphysical next Milkshake. Week. We love you. Keep that love flowing, a love supreme. Bye. Bye bye. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick Demaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang.
3: And it it sounds simple, but I swear to God I will gladly do every dish in this house now (laughs) simply because
1: will you marry
0: me (laughs) pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from McDonald's
2: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49, perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Ba 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 ba. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky?